0: Welcome to the going from good to great requirements. You may have noticed in uh, your existing projects or you may have participated in projects where the cost just basically increased exponentially throughout the the project, or uh, you experienced delays in the deadlines um, or the well-known 99% effect where It seems like we're almost delivering, but there's always something going on, or perhaps it was just hard to achieve the customer acceptance. Many of these problems are rooted in poor requirements management practices, but also they can be rooted to the way we write requirements. So if you're participating in this webinar, that means that you already know that requirements have something to do with all this. Good morning to everybody. My name is Fernando Valera. I'm Vischer's CTO. I've been for actually more than 20 years in the field of requirements engineering, and I've helped hundreds of companies throughout the world to improve their requirements management practices, Um, and I am an IREP CPI certified trainer. I will be conducting today's webinar, and I will be uh, you will all be muted throughout the course of the webinar. You have the Q&A panel and the chat panel available to send your questions or comments, or if you would like some further explanation on any of the topics that we're going to cover today. It's uh, one of the advantages of participating in this webinar. So please feel free to add any any suggestion or comment. The um, At the end of the webinar, Apart from seeing some uh, basic concepts, we will take a look at how to automate some of the um, uh, some of the criteria that we will be taking a look at. And also you will receive an email with a recording to the session. So let's start with the webinar. And again, if you have any question, please feel free to post it in the QA panel or the chat panel. I would like to start. Uh, sending out a question to everybody. Can you hear me loud and clear? All right. I see some hands up. Perfect. There you go. So, just a little bit of background on who we are and Visher. So, Visher is the uh, developer and manufacturer of uh, one of the leading tools in the market, requirements, uh, visual requirements, uh, ALM. Um, We are headquartered in San Francisco and the entire organization is a a IREP certified trainer. So we can provide trainings uh, all across North America, uh, but also Europe and and other places. So I always like to start this type of training sessions with this uh, comic strip. And the first thing, and and probably you have all seen this one uh, to exhaustion, but still, I think uh, it highlights the the, essence of requirements in the sense that uh, what the user sometimes requests is already a little bit off. We feel that it's uh, weird, but at the same time, the customer is always right. Um, when the project manager starts um, writing that down, tries to give it a little bit of sense to what the customer kind of said, tries to, you know, um, improve it a little bit. But of course, some details fall through the cracks, like the small detail about putting both ropes on the same branch, uh, it just kind of slipped away. Um, so of course the project starts becoming a little bit um, too much. So we bring external consultants, and the proposal is always, you know, an overkill. So what do we do? We go back. We try to iterate over what we have, and the analysts and developers are gonna make it work. Uh, it's incredible the um, how we can apply experience. But then everybody knows like, well, this is like super weird. What's going on, right? Um, Also, we see that rationale of the requirements, uh, all the decisions that we made, all the conflicts that were were, were resolved, sometimes they're just nowhere. And this happens typically in non-safety critical environments, because in safety critical environments, that's a must. It's uh, mandated that you have to keep track of all that. Um, but in those areas where it's not mandated, we see that sometimes it's just lacking, right? But if you look at the cost of the project, it looks like we're building an actual rocket, right? But the important thing is that what the user really needed had nothing to do what, with what the user said that they needed what we understood that they needed, is completely different. So the act of writing requirements, it's not only just documenting a set of things, but the act of eliciting and investigating the real user need. So for that purpose, we have a defined, clearly defined requirements engineering process. It's not the purpose of today's webinar to go through the process. So I'll just present this slide um, and another slide, and I'll move on to how to write great requirements. But following this process is absolutely necessary to write high-quality requirements. Why? Uh, The first thing is that uh, we will see that one of the biggest problems when writing requirements is that they are incomplete. So how can we guarantee that requirements are complete or that a specification is not missing a feature or function? Well, unfortunately, there is no way, there is no technique out there that can tell us, yes, this document is complete. However, we have several mitigation actions and steps and the first one will be defining three inputs to our requirements engineering process. the f- The first one being the scope. What is it that we need to develop and what's outside? Sometimes this is not easy. For instance, in the case of APIs or connections to other systems, you might have a question like, do we have to um, adapt to a standard like, a USB standard or a web services standard? Or do we have to develop uh, the integration and the actual interface? Or do we have to comply with this uh, regulation or, or norm or law, or do we not? That's Those are questions that you will resolve during the scope, even though the scope can change throughout the, the, the project. But if we don't create a good scope, then, for sure, we're going to miss requirements. The second one is referred to the structure about how we write requirements, um, the types of languages that we're going to use, uh, the type of documents uh, that we're going to use. The third one, and also fundamental, the sources of requirements. Where are we going to go to look for the actual requirements? And um, many of the problems with the requirements are rooted in wrong sources of requirements. Either we're not asking the right people or we're giving them an authority that they don't have. So uh, the three main sources of requirements, stakeholders, and this is a fundamental activity. Figuring out who do we need to ask for requirements is the single most important activity that we can perform in the whole requirements engineering lifecycle. Um, in many cases, we might be missing requirements also because we're missing stakeholders. And stakeholders are not only uh, the users, not only the customer who's paying for it, but also it could be uh, entities, external entities that uh, might influence our system. It might be internal users like uh, our developers, or testers. They have requirements too. So let's ask them for them. That does not mean that they are entitled to tell us whatever they want uh, and we will implement it. That's why I mentioned that each stakeholder has to have the corresponding authority. We not only have stakeholders, but also we have uh, documents. So documents, an enormous source of requirements, whether those are, as I mentioned, regulations, standards, norms, um, APIs, you know, those sort of things. And the third one are legacy systems. So unless you're developing an extremely disruptive system in the market that has never existed uh, before, which is very rarely the case, uh, that means that you're replacing an existing system. If you're developing an aircraft, it's a a new version of an obsolete aircraft. Or if you're implementing, let's say, a CRM, uh, you might be replacing Excel. So those legacy systems that users are currently uh, using set up an enormous amount of expectations that should be reflected in requirements. So once we have that, we will get into the phase of the elicitation. And that means that we will implement different techniques on how to extract the requirements from those sources. And let's not fall in the the error of thinking that interviews are the only elicitation technique, Uh, but we have things like surveys, if we have a wide range of users of the system, or we can even do brainstorming. Uh, You might think that brainstorming is completely off when talking about requirements, but in my 20 years experience, I have noticed that there is a time and a place for all the techniques. Brainstorming, for instance, will help you unlock a situation that you reached by certain type of conflicts that created a deadlock. Um, for instance, we are developing something with a new technology, but the technology does not enable all the um, user needs completely. So we might need to sit down, go back to the storyboard, and you know, come up with uh, imaginative ideas. And that's what brainstorming is about. Uh, we can use prototypes as well. Once we gather all the requirements and all the ideas, we're going to document them in an appropriate way. And that's exactly what we're going to cover today. <clears throat> Not only the documentation, but also the validation and the review of of, uh, the way of those requirements in the way that we said that we were going to write them. And when we write requirements, we're going to use not only a structure that we defined at the beginning, um, and the structure can be either a requirement specification document, or it can be a product backlog. I don't care. However, if we decide that we're going to do it in a way, we have to stick to it. But also, we're going to define a set of quality criteria. And that is how are we going to rate this document and these requirements or user stories? And that's exactly what we're going to check in the validation and review phase. Are we complying with all that? Uh, the last step is the management, making sure that all elements are documented properly. We have a code, they have attributes, views and they have traceability to the source. And finally, um, the fact that um, all the artifacts are under configuration management, that we create a version of the document or um, a baseline. At that point, if we are confident with our requirements, we will jump to the next phase. Otherwise, we will iterate and get back into our requirements lifecycle. The um, requirements process is incremental in the sense that we have different abstraction levels, whether that's a uh, user and then system, design, et cetera, or whether those are the definitions of the epics and then the user stories, tasks, etc. However, in each one of the abstraction levels, we have to conduct all the activities that we mentioned in the previous slide. This is fundamental to guarantee that we are implementing a system that fully adapts and fully solves the original user needs. Because if we define our problem very well with a great level of detail, but when we're proposing the solution, then we skip some of the steps, then we're our solution is not going to be complete either. So um, we will follow that spiral as many times as needed for each one of the abstraction levels. Uh, When we escape the the cycle, remember that we have a step where we define the traceability to the origin. So the traceability to the origin might be a previous requirement, or for instance, a previous epic. So we have to document that. So Let's move on to see how to actually write requirements. Um, and we're going to start by defining what is a requirement. So, IEEE says that it's a condition or capacity needed by a user to solve a problem or achieve an objective. The second one, it's a condition or capability that must be met or possessed by a system to satisfy a contract. Standard specification or formally imposed documents and a written statement or one of or two. So that means, first of all, there's nowhere in the IEEE definition that says that a requirement is what the user says that they need in their system. Instead, it says the capacity needed by a user. So going back to this wing. It's not the actual swing with the uh, uh, with the wood, but the uh, just the uh, the will. The second one, anything that might come in the form of a document, regulation, norm, is a requirement as well, and also only that that is written is a requirement. Just consider requirements as clauses in a legal document. So whatever we said, whatever we uh, give for granted, whatever we think it's obvious, it's not a requirement. If it's not in a clause in a requirements document, it's not a requirement. So this differentiation uh, or this definition is, is very important. If there are other definitions, like, for instance, uh, talking about functional and non-functional requirements, or even constraints, um, qualities, we're not going to get into that today. Um, I will mention it at the end of the webinar, but there will be an online course that we're preparing that you will be able to subscribe. And this is just a, a very small teaser. It's just a, a subset of the entire course, which is several hours. Uh, today, we just have a, a one quick hour. So uh, let's get into the different types of languages that we can use. And when, when we talk about using a language to describe requirements, we're not talking about English, German, French, and so on. We're talking about whether we use natural language or whether we use other languages like at UML. Um, UML being Unified Modeling Language. So we can use models to represent requirements because they represent a specific type of reality. If we are using an activity diagram, uh, well, we are describing um, like the different steps or uh, flows until we achieve a goal. If we use a state diagram, we're representing all the different states of a system and when and how it transitions from one state to the other one. If we use a block diagram or a class diagram, we are representing the different parts of the system in a static way. And all those are extremely useful. I I just, I think it's... uh, uh, Modeling will become the future of requirements eventually, but there's something to take into consideration. The first one is that the more available the language is and the easier it is to understand, the more imprecise it is. So natural language, uh, everybody that speaks English will sort of understand requirements written in English. Uh, However, uh, we have two problems. The first one is the interpretation of that, and the second one will be the um, um, the the fact that when writing those requirements, it's very hard to write them in, in a way that everybody will understand the same. However, if we used let's say models, uh, the interpretation will be reduced. Does not mean that. Uh, Models cannot be misinterpreted. They can be, and sometimes they can be a little bit ambiguous. Um, But the problem is that they are harder to understand. You have to go through a a training course to understand and to read them. So when choosing a a language or a combination of languages, we have to understand that uh, we have to choose something that everybody will understand. Otherwise, it's just pointless. Uh, So we will focus on using natural language uh, throughout the the course. So when when we use natural language, uh, and I like this quote from George Bernard Shaw, it says that the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And I think it's fantastic. And this is the feeling that I have every time I have a conversation with my wife. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, you know, language can be misinterpreted, so we have to work on making it um, more understood. One of the ways to avoid these problems due to natural language is to be aware of uh, different transformational processes. Um, And transformational processes are problems that happen when we go from an idea or a thought into written language or written form. Um, One of the things that I explain during my courses is the fact that um, thoughts are laid down in our brain uh, through neural uh, neural paths. And uh, if you have ever take a look at how neurons work, um, they they look like branches in a tree, right? So, so you might have one idea that connects to 20 other ideas, and each one of them connects to some other, and then when two branches connect, you have created a new neural path that actually gives way to new ideas. So the problem that we have, and this is a gigantic challenge, is the fact that All of a sudden, we have to lay down uh, a very complex tree into what I call the sausage or sausageification of ideas. We have to lay them uh, like a 3D into a 2D piece of paper, not only a 2D, but also from left to right, and one word after the other. So by definition, we are omitting Um, some ideas, some connections. Um, So what we recommend is, first of all, be aware of that. Uh, Be aware that you will have to make a big emphasis on trying to write requirements and use templates. So the templates will help you formalize all those ideas in a proper way. Um, Just take into account that the templates have to be Standardized within the organization and agreed upon. So let's use user stories or let's use EARS templates, whatever that is. But you have to be flexible because someone might want to use a model, and that's fine. That's great. But while we will be flexible, the flexibility cannot be the norm. So we have to try to stick to uh, the templates that we define. So very quickly, uh, the the quintessential template that you will have seen everywhere um, is composed of the user shall be able to achieve something and the system shall do this function from higher level abstractions to lower lower levels of abstraction in the requirements. So that's what probably we've seen before. But the one that I wanted to present today is uh, the ears um, the EARS template is the approach for requirement syntax from Alistair Morvin. It's becoming very popular in many industries, especially in aerospace. And you'll see why in a, in a second. <clears throat> so, EARS um, proposes, <clears throat> excuse me, five different templates. One of them is the ubiquitous template that whatever part of the system shall. Do something, and that's very similar to the template that we saw earlier. Um, but some other templates that you can use as necessary, you can combine them and you can create your own version of ears. This is very important. The second template is the state driven requirements. So while the system is in a state, then the system shall do this. So uh, while the aircraft is flying, then the system will display a, you know, a, a flashing light in the cockpit. The interesting thing about this one is that if we're able to consistently represent um, the state-driven requirements with this template, all of a sudden we will see a whole bunch of requirements bundled together using the while statement. So we already know, first of all, that we're dealing with states, we can very quickly focus on the second word after a while and then figure out all the states. And it's going to be a hundred times easier to write that document than if we were using random sentences. Very structured. It allows us to focus our vision in what's important. And we can scan through a a requirements document in a matter of seconds just by looking at, at that. We have the event driven requirements. So when this happens, then this happens. So when the pilot turns the uh you know the, the switch on, then the system will turn on, you know. And then there are two interesting ones. I'll skip the optional feature one to go straight to the unwanted behavior, and I'll come back to the optional. The unwanted behavior requirements are almost identical to the event-driven, in the sense that when something happens can also be described as if, but uh, we're going to reserve the if for, um, for unwanted behavior or failure modes. And that will resonate for some of them. So something that the safety team might need to take into consideration. So if there is a power outage, if there's a hacking, if the aircraft is hit by a lightning. So everything that uh, should not be the desired outcome of the system, but can happen. So that way we can just get all the ifs and make sure that uh, we could even do a risk analysis over all those, right? To see if we have contemplated everything. Um, And then finally, the optional feature, uh, that means that this is the equivalent of be able to, That's everything that the system should be possible to do if there is a condition. So where a specific feature is included, then the system will will do this. Um, Other types of uh, templates include user stories, which I like very much, because first of all, it includes the type of user. Uh, so we have to think in terms of roles, and we're already thinking about the stakeholders to a certain extent. So as an administrator, as a support engineer, etc. I want to achieve some goal. And this, again, forces us to think about what is really needed. It's not saying uh, I want what I want. I want to achieve a goal. Um, and finally, for a reason. So it's basically trying to um, make sure that we are truly thinking about that need behind the uh, uh, the user, um, the, the user, uh, the user story. Good. So at this point, we are aware that uh, there is a process behind writing requirements that. Uh, after all the process, when we when it gets to writing them down, uh, it's going to be very hard to put in a piece of paper all those ideas, and we're going to use a set of templates that will or that are going to help us in that. Apart from that, what we're going to do is that we're going to define a, ser- a certain quality criteria for whatever we're writing. So the quality criteria is not something that we're going to check afterwards only. We have to interiorize it. It has to come natural when we write requirements. And At the beginning, it's going to take a while. It's going to be hard to write a requirement. And what we're going to see is that we're going to write the same requirement over and over again and we're not happy and we write it 10 times and that's fine. Writing good requirements takes a lot of time. But just imagine that hour that you spent rewriting the requirements and again, you will have saved weeks, if not months, of work in potential misunderstandings and problems. So just consider it as a, an extremely cost-effective investment. Okay. And what, what would that those um, quality criteria be? Well, you have to choose the ones that apply best for your industry, your type of project, uh, your users, but we suggest two sources, and we will make a summary of those. So, INCOSI proposes 41 rules in their guidelines of, of writing good requirements or uh, writing uh, guide for writing requirements. You can take those ones. We will take a look at them right now uh, very quickly, but also IEEE 29148, which is the one suggested by um, IREP CPRA um, includes some, you know, like six rules or, or more or less, which are this ones. You know, they use using a legally binding option like shall uh, avoid shall not um, avoid um, superlatives, um, s- avoid subject languages, etc., etc. Right? Um, whereas in COSIS, way more detailed. Uh, All of the previous ones can be included in one of these categories. And what we see here is the 41 uh, criteria. And at the bottom, we can see 12 categories. And we will see things related to accuracy. So making sure that you're using, uh, when when you meant kilometers, that it is truly kilometers instead of meters, uh, that you don't have open-ended lists, like et cetera. And so on, um, you know. For instance, A B C D and um, ellipses, you know, those sort of things. Um, avoiding, well, obviously, correct grammar and correct spelling, correct punctuation. That's um, that's sometimes given for granted, but uh, should be um, taken into into consideration. I'm not going to get into the detail of this one. You can do that. Uh, You can check the INCOSI website um, guide for writing requirements. And you will also have the recording of the session if if you have uh, uh, any question. And you can always uh, get in contact uh, with us if you have further questions. And I see that there's a question about when do we use ears as against user stories? Uh, surely ears is far more precise for natural language requirements than user stories. So if that is that is a very good question. Um, and I'm not going to get into the detail of that throughout the course, uh, throughout the, the webinar, but essentially I recommend using ears where when you have a safety critical environment. Um, Ears is very convenient. I would uh, complement it with certain types of models that you are sure everybody understands within the organization. And typically, I recommend introducing like two types let's say, block diagrams and state diagrams. Or it can be, depending on the, the system, an activity diagram and state diagram, something like that. When you, the, your system is not safety critical, I recommend using. A subset of ears, or a combination, or uh, adapting them to your to your own um, system type. However, the use of user stories implies a higher degree of implicit knowledge. What that means is that uh, user stories are less precise and. Um, therefore, we are relying on developers to understand that, right. And user stories, if that knowledge is there and we're going to use agile methodologies, then users user stories are very appropriate, right. Uh, there's another question about how do you convert user needs to requirements? Um, so that is like knowing, um, you know, what's the what's the purpose of life? Um, it's it's a long topic, and we will not have time to cover it today. Essentially, in the in the previous slide where I showed the requirements engineering life cycle, um, I mentioned the process that we have to follow to convert user needs to actual uh, requirements, and and following the requirements engineering life cycle is exactly what will help you to convert it one to, from one to the other. Uh, scope structure, sources, elicitation documentation, validation review and uh, and management and then traceability. So let's uh, move on to uh, the most fundamental part of the of the training. So um, we're going to take a look at the different quality criteria that we're going to apply to individual requirements, and to the specification as a whole so let's go for it and let's start with uh, the the quality criteria for individual requirements the first one and today we're not going to get into the detail into each one of them independently even though each one is a chapter in itself right so the first thing a requirement must be clear and this is sometimes very complicated to achieve. Uh, a Clear means that this it has to be a concise sentence. Therefore, the templates are gonna help in that. Also, it means that we, we have to uh, convey one idea in a way that people are going to understand. And when writing a complex idea and rereading it, we will find out that sometimes um, it's not that clear, it's uh, it's convoluted, and it's okay if we rewrite it multiple times until we get to a very concise sentence. And again, writing concise sentences might take a long time. So invest as much time as you need in writing a requirement that is very clear and always challenge your requirement by saying, is this the best that I can do? The second one, requirements have to be atomic, meaning that they have to convey one single idea per requirement. Ways in which we can identify non-atomic requirements when we use, first of all, ands and ors. So the system shall, shall do this and this and this. That typically, means that we are including multiple requirements in one single sentence. So what are we going to do? My recommendation, try to split that requirement into two, having one of them the first part of the end and another requirement the second part of the end. So for instance, the system shall support creating and deleting users. So you might think that that's one requirement, but what we're Really, what we're really doing is that we're being lazy because those are two separate requirements with separate tests. So, we should phrase it, the user shall be able to create new users and the user shall be able to delete existing users. There are exceptions here uh, and the exception might be when we're talking about ranges. So, for instance, we if we have something like uh, the, uh, the gauge will give the user the uh, remaining time the remaining battery between 0 and 100 so that's that's what it is it's a range we cannot separate it so um just that does not mean that every single range Uh, or there are no ranges that cannot be separated, but just pay attention to that and uh, be careful with ands and ors. Be careful with um, bullet points. So bullet points sometimes conceal multiple requirements. That doesn't mean that we cannot use them. If, for instance, we have a requirement that says that the combo box shall have all the states in the US and we list them, that's fine. That is one single requirement. But in some cases, we're just putting all the actions that need to be done, and each one of them is a separate requirement. The third one. And before that, a quick reminder that you you can post your comments and questions in the chat window. um, So feel free to do that if you have questions. The third one, non-ambiguous. Non-ambiguous means that everybody understands the same when reading the requirement. So if we have ambiguous terms, like, for instance, quick, secure, uh, greater, smaller, bigger, you know, all those terms can be interpreted in multiple different ways. Uh, what is secure? What is easy to use? Uh, there is no defined criteria, especially we cannot uh, create a test case um, and make sure that it will fulfill it 100%. So try to avoid ambiguous terms as much as possible. Usually, it's very easy to identify them and it's very hard to fix them. So uh, yeah, we all know that easy to use is very ambiguous, should be avoided, but how do we fix it? So I have two recommendations for you today. First of all, ask and consult well, the first thing, you are not going to be able to fix it. That's one of the things that we have to realize. Or the user that sent, sent us the requirement might not be able to fix it either. So What you're going to do is that you're going to consult with experts and we're, you're going to ask them for advice. You ask a UX expert, hey, we have this uh, app on Android and we're thinking on doing it for iOS as well. Uh, what? usability guidelines should we use? And they'll say, hey, there's a trillion, but actually one of them has been defined for organization. You can download it from SharePoint and it's there. Solved, and and neither the stakeholder or you knew about it. So the experts will give you a reference or where to go. Fourth, verifiable. Verifiable means that we will be able to establish a test that will determine whether the requirement is passed or not. If we cannot do this, then the acceptance of, of the project is random. The customer might accept it or might not. So there are two reasons, or actually three reasons why uh, requirements cannot be verified. The first one is because we're using ambiguous terms. So we're stating that the requirement is, uh, is uh, has to be uh, easy to use. Or quick, so quick is five minutes, or is it five milliseconds, or somewhere in between? Well, uh, we cannot write a test uh, for that before we actually resolve that um, uh, ambiguity. But there are two other reasons. Uh, so, in the first one, we just have to talk to the stakeholder, the experts, and and figure out what the actual requirement is. But we might have a requirement that is perfectly well written like uh, the system shall operate for two years uh, without a a crash of this type. Um, So we might not be able to define a test case because it's either too expensive or it's simply not possible. So in that case, we're going to do several things. We're going to write either reformulate the requirement in a way that can be verified, or we're going to create analysis methods to verify that requirement. Like for instance, if the, the, the requirement cannot fail for two years, then obviously we have to um, set up an analysis that puts a hundred machines working for a month. And then out of that, we will extract statistics that will help us verify it Um, With the customer. And the customer has to accept uh, those verification activities as well. Let's go for the next five quality criteria for requirements. It has to be necessary. Necessary means that it comes from a legitimate source and stakeholder. So therefore, we cannot ask anybody. Otherwise, we'll have requirements that are not uh, traced to sources of requirements, and also we have to make sure that we take into account tolerances, that we're not saying that the system shall go or shall have a performance of five milliseconds, when actually we can ask ourselves, is this really necessary, five milliseconds? And for a user interface, the standard is between one and three seconds. So five milliseconds is an overkill. So take into account the cost of every requirement. Uh, the next one is the sign-independent. That means that we have to make sure that requirements as stated represent what we expect from the system that we're describing from a black box perspective. For instance, if we are developing a new system, the requirements will be the system, whatever it is, uh, we'll do this and will do that. We're not describing how. The how is described when we go, uh, a level down in the abstraction. And then we write requirements for a subcomponent. And in that case, we're writing the requirements from the subcomponent from a black box perspective. So this whole component, this software, will do this and will do that. And that's, what's, that's the how for uh, the higher level, right? And um, if we're describing the how to do it, What we're going to see is that it's very difficult to implement different solutions and we're just geared towards one so try to be solution agnostic. The seventh is that it's feasible and when we say feasible it means within your capacity of technical aspects so the technology is there and you have access to it that it's feasible within the time frame, and the estimation that we've had, and the cost. If if it's not going to be possible, then it's not a requirement, it's wishful thinking. And the last two, complete and correct. Complete means that uh, the requirement follows a um, um, a template completely. So, we have a subject, a, a predicate, a verb, So something that is less than a template is going to be useless. And last of all, correct. It means that when whatever we're stating in the requirement reflects reality in an appropriate manner. So when the user said uh, 50 miles per hour, that it's truly 50 miles per hour. It's not 500 kilometers per hour. So it's very simple. You cannot verify this. You have to ask the uh, uh, the stakeholder and just review all the numerical parameters. So all the parameters, just go through them. Is this correct? Yes, 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 yes. That's the best way of solving that. So we have taken a look at all the uh, quality criteria for individual requirements, but we also have four for the document as a whole, because even though the individual requirements might have very high quality the document might still not be great why because four things the first one because we're missing requirements so just think about aspects that you might be missing check with stakeholders and check with experts they are the ones that will tell you whether you're missing requirements experts could be Developers within your organization, uh, project managers, testers, they have gone through this many times. And, and just in a glimpse, they can tell you, oh, yeah, man, you're missing um, all, everything related to security. Like, oh, damn. Consistent, meaning that to require, no requirement can be contradicting another requirement. So we have to make sure that everything is coherent. Modifiable, meaning that it's under configuration management and all requirements are identified and we will be able to modify them in the future if there are modifications. And finally, prioritized. Prioritized means that every single requirement uh, has to have a legally binding force. That can be a high priority, can be a low priority, or it can be a shall statement, meaning that it's legally binding to implement it, a should statement, that means that it's optional, but you should try to implement it to the extent of your capacity. So it's not that you just didn't want to, it's that you could not. Um, The uh, may, it's a truly optional requirement, it's a nice to have, Uh, and then we have will, which is a declaration of intent rather than an actual requirement, but those definitions can be found out there, but you should define what each one of them means within your organization. So, stated clearly in the document what they mean. Perfect. So, we have gone through um, just the process, the the, uh, the templates, the quality criteria. Let's take a look at very very quickly at how to automate some of this uh, uh, some of these rules. And for that purpose, we're going to use uh, Visual Requirements. I, as I mentioned earlier, we are the manufacturers and distributors of Visual Requirements ALM. So uh, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to use the the app instead of the the web interface uh, for this. And I'll just guide you very quickly through what Visual is just um, so that that you can identify where we are when we get to the to the quality analysis so what we can see here is nothing more uh, than what you have been working with in the past Uh, this means that we have a a folder structure like a windows explorer where we have all of our assets and in visure we can deal with all the assets related to uh, change requests. Uh, so if we're working with requirements, we will have change requests, and we have to prepare for those changes. Um, n- Regulations, standards, uh, all those documents that we might need to reference in our requirements can be saved in Visure. Uh, you can establish a reference to an external document if, if you want. Um, everything related to uh, process checklists, some uh, some environments do require that we go through a checklist, making sure that we did everything that we were meant to do. Like, do we write a requirements document? Yes. Has it been reviewed? Yes. So um, those can be very generic and uh, light, or they can be very specific in aerospace environments, like Do one seventy eight, Do two fifty four. Uh, so we provide those checklists as well, and of course. Uh, all the requirement specifications will be included in a folder and that will represent your your own process and your own specifications whether you have product system component requirements or any variation of that um, apart from that in in visual we support also uh, the writing side of the v life cycle so not only the requirements but the uh, the test cases uh, their definition and their execution as well so we can include uh how they were executed, we can bring the results um and if any of them is failed, then we can log them in the defects module uh, to keep track of that, assign it, etc um, etc cetera, et cetera. in some cases um the defects are not just logged straight away but we might need to log a problem report uh, that then is, implemented by means of change requests, for instance. So um, we can have that or you can completely ignore it and start out of one of the project templates that we have that does not have uh, those problem reports. Um, In some environments, you might need to perform a hazard analysis and uh, making sure that all all the if statements that we mentioned earlier. um, So if there's a power outage, and we are in the uh, operating room, and we are with the device, so that we're not going to cause a death or a serious harm if there's a power outage, or you know, like someone trips on a cable, you know, those sort of things. Uh, so we figure out whether it's acceptable and acceptable risk, and we perform mitigation actions. And uh, tie to one of the questions that we had earlier. Um, you were mentioning that. Uh, how about the user stories? So uh, we can represent uh, epics and user stories depending on which flavor you want to go for: V-cycle, um, uh, agile. I have uh, my recommendation. Also, is to complement user stories with non-documents of non-functional requirements uh, because that's something that it's very hard to document on, on, on user stories. Um, and there's a question about integrating Vischer with uh, Python and Selenium. Uh, yes, the answer is, is absolutely in the runs execution, uh, we can associate Python scripts and uh, execute those Python scripts and retrieve those results back into, into Vischer. Uh, to be able to figure out whether a test is passed or fail in the latest execution and therefore all the related requirements being passed or or failed. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, uh, we have tasks. Uh, We have the possibility of reviewing elements in the source code just for some environments. If you're not mandated, just don't even get close to tracing to source code. Um, Just very quickly putting this into context, uh, we have what we call the V lifecycle data models or agile data models that represent the structures that we saw earlier in the uh, in the hierarchical view. But we're putting them in a diagram to indicate which elements should be traced to which one. So in here, we're saying, okay, we have a document which are the product requirements that should be traced to system requirements, traced to component requirements right inside of the v life cycle and then users will not be able to do anything else than what we have defined in here so now that we understand this year, uh, let's open one of the documents the prior requirements document and what we see here it's kind of a, a word document um because it's a, a requirement specification if we were in a uh, in the Let's say product backlog, we might see it as a list or a Kanban view, depending on on the action that we want to perform. And to the right side of the requirements, we can see this like progress bar. And this actually indicates the quality of the requirements. So if I write a requirement in here uh, and we state something like the system shall allow the users to... Uh, generate reports in an easy and quick way. Uh, it could, uh, it shall also allow them to export all the information on the modules reported. Uh, let's say export all the information Excuse me, let's maximize this very uh, completely. So I really hope that at this point in time, we're all cringing and saying like, oh, this is really bad requirement. But um, what we're going to do is that we're going to analyze this individual requirement, even though we can analyze an entire document at the same time. And what we see here is that we have one red exclamation, well, red uh, very low quality. Uh, the first thing that I would do is that after analyzing the quality of the entire document by selecting all of the items and clicking on, on analyze, what we're going to do is that uh, we're, we're going to generate this dashboard. Um, and in the quality analysis, we're going to get the overall quality of the requirements. So we can see that it's, you know, three, it's kind of okay. It's pretty, pretty decent right? Let's go back to the requirement and let's consider that uh, users don't know what's what's the problem with this requirement. So we can go to the properties um, and we can go to the quality tab. So the quality tab is going to highlight all the problems that we have. So first of all, no directives. So what we can do is that we can go to the configuration. and In the quality analyzer, we can not only configure but we can also learn about the metrics and we can find out that the directives are basically additional, um, sorry. Uh, yep. The directives are additional information that we might include in the requirements, like for instance, a figure, etc. It's not mandatory. It's nice to have, but we have multiple imperatives. We see a shall statement here and a shall statement here. That's not good. That's already an indication that we have too many concepts in there and we should divide it into multiple requirements. Subjective words like easy and quick and completely all and it are very low quality aspects. So we can redo this requirement, reparse it until we get like a high level quality um, of the requirement. So uh, at this point, um, I would, I would like to see if there are questions we addressed some of the questions on the fly throughout the uh, throughout the, the the course um I would like to thank you for your time. I hope it was useful and I hope that it will be uh beneficial for your uh, understanding of requirements and next time you write requirements you can get in touch with us at info adventuresotions.com at my email is F. valera. You can uh, reach out to us if you have questions. Uh, you are interested in a full course of this. And um, I hope to, you know, I see some, some uh, names out there that I know. So I know some of you attending the webinar. Um, in any case, I hope you have a great rest of the day. And I hope to hear from from you soon. I uh, thank you for your attention. Have a great day. Goodbye.